0: Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club I'm your host as always Edward Jones And joining me of course is my co-host the Professor Mr Stephen Palmer Howdy there Tonight we look at the utterly random and slightly wonderful musical That is The Legend of the Stardust Brothers But before we get inside it's time to ask what you've been watching And Stephen what has been holding your interest if anything um, I've had a busy week this week, so I haven't had much...
1: I've been sort of travelling the country and doing some work, so I haven't had a chance to watch much. However, I did get round to finishing off my Fight Back to School um, box set. So I'm pretty certain I talked about watching the original film, the 21 Jump Street clone. And I think I spoke about watching the second one. So this was like an 88 films box set that came out earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Fight Back to School 2 is another... It's, it's just a sort of a, a repeat, different schools, but he's still so sort of undercover cop, goes to school to solve a crime, and I think they're both directed by um, Gordon Chan. And they're, they're both really good. Fight Back to School 1 is like one of the best Stephen Chow films there is. And the second one's a lot of fun. And then Fight Back to School 3, um, two things about it. One is it's directed by Wong Jing, so that should, that, that'll should scare you because we all know he's a... Saying he's a hack's not fair, and I've got something to say about that in a second, but he does mix very well with Stephen Chow, and he did discover Stephen Chow, and and so he's kind of important in that regard. Um, It's also got fuck all to do with... There's no fighting back to school, (laughs) goes on it. it. He happens to be the same character from the previous two films, and his girlfriend does survive, but just like the other films, she is backgrounded very quickly. So in this film, um, our friend Stephen Chow, always oh, known as Starry Chow, in this, um, in these films, he's an undercover, pl- well, he's a policeman, undercover policeman, and he gets involved, basically, in a comedy version of Basic Instinct. Don't worry, it literally tells you that <laughs> he says Ooh, this plot's exactly the same as another film which has just come out, <laughs> and and it's very on the nose. I wanted to. I, I was coming into it thinking, "Oh, this will be shit," because it's it's Wong Jing, it's um, it's a sequel only in name, blah blah blah. And actually, it's really good. So, opposite Chow in this is Anita Mui, who I think you've seen Justice My Foot. Or if you
0: haven't, you should. Basically, yes, I've seen that one. It's the yeah. one where um, everyone's wearing the Garfield mask, isn't it?
1: No, that's um, love. oh no, that's
0: Love and Delivery, isn't love it? And Sorry, delivery, yeah.
1: No, I maybe haven't suggested... just but Anita Mui and Stephen Chow are just the greatest combination, and both and, and she's just brilliant because she has the comic and acting chops to go up against him. Where quite often he doesn't have people who can stand up to him comedy wise. And it's just really good. However, what I will say, is, and I read a review um, on the Love HK Film website. I had a look what they had to say about it back in the day. And I imagine it was Koza. I can't remember who wrote it, but it did say something along the lines of, Wong Jing has never met a joke he didn't like. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think that's perfect because there's a lot of jokes in this. Um, there is also a little bit of Homophobia. And there is a little bit of lesbian fetishisation. So probably not one for the, um, the modern audience. Maybe not cancellable, but it's, I don't know. It's just questionably funny in the modern world. But I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to go woke on you. But there is a bit of that. However, some of the scenes are absolutely fucking hilarious. <laughs> and as a story it actually, I think it holds up a lot better, even though it does rip off the plot of basic instinct in every way, shape or form. Of course. Um, So, yeah, it was a bit of a hidden gem, really. I I know I I was looking on Letterboxd at other people's views of it, and basically, as far as I can see, either people think it's shit and shouldn't be considered with the other two films... Or it's people's secret favourites. <laughs> so, now I'm not sure it's my—I'm not sure it's my favourite, but it is way better than I expected. And that box set as a whole, although it's incredibly light on extras. Although, oh, your mate Anthony Wong's in this one, and he does on one. of the Oh, extras. he makes
0: it essential watching then.
1: <laughs> and um, there's a little extra on there where he talks about um, how he got into acting. Just a little sort of ten-minute interview with him, which is quite nice. Um, so it's a bit low on extras. 88 films also have this really weird way that films start on them, but it's a nice, nice little set. And um, I'm really, it's been a really good year for Stephen Chow films. Um, So we had the Fight Back to School box set from Beijing with Love has been released. Um, I've just received this week. Well, Tramp One and Two have come released. And a couple of years ago, mate, you could just get Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer and maybe The Mermaid. And now, huge amounts of his uh, back catalogue from all eras are now available. So I'm um exciting times. Unfortunately, they're all from different bloody suppliers, so they don't match up on the shelf at all.
0: Yeah, there is uh, quite a few labels at the moment, and there? there's about five labels that are handling the Asian cinema releases. And...
1: Yeah, and they've all got a bit. But um, so yeah, so so pre warned, mate. There will be some more Stephen Chow films over the next few weeks as I uh, as I go through that. Um, but that's it, really. That's all I've watched. What about yourself?
0: For myself, it's been a weird old little week, to say the least. I'm gonna come back to the first film I watched uh, in a minute, and we're just gonna skip ahead to. Um... A Jackie Chan movie I watched called Half a Loaf of Kung Fu, which is part of the new set that Criterion have just put out uh, doing his early films. So it's films like Young Master, um, Fearless Hyena 1 and 2, uh, My Lucky Stars. My Lucky Stars and The Hyena t- uh, Young Hyena. Phyllis Hyena 2. Uh, interesting selections, mainly because Jackie's hardly in them. Um, Phyllis Hyena too, most memorably be because he'd already gone over to Golden Harvest at that point and the uh, producer basically just cut a bunch of footage around what they had. So I guess it kind of makes it like his game of death in that respect. But um, Half a Lo- Loaf of Kung Fu is really sees Jackie sort of coming into his own this is an early film so it was originally made before he went on to become this amazing sort of like breakout star with like Snake in the uh, Snake and Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master and he was basically given free reign to do what he wanted by Lo Wei but when Lo Wei saw what he produced he thought this is absolutely awful and just hit it in a vault which is you know a sensible thing to do because unlike here in the UK where we just we don't like things we just of like leaving a dumpster or bury it under the m5 or something he put it in the vault and obviously jack chan's like star continued to like meteorite up so a couple of years after um like drunken master he releases half a loaf of kung fu and obviously banks big on it if Jackie Chan obviously had not got like the superstar status at the time, I think this film would have been a horrible flop and it would have been completely overlooked uh, by many. And I think it's only the fact that Jackie Chan's in it is the only reason that people still know of this film because most like the title, this is just a bit of a confusing mess. Um, certainly he's trying a lot of things that would become his trademarks and at the same time there's also a bunch of elements that don't become his trademark such as like use of wacky sound effects and we have him do like a scene where he eats grass and does a Popeye impression he also does a homage to Jesus Christ superstar as well in this film and the whole film goes on about 20 minutes too long really so while we get the end fight scene sort of redeems itself and there's a couple of early sort of fight scenes on early on it does ultimately never really sort of uh Hits the way that sort of like the classic films do. It is also kind of amusing to see Jackie Chen with that sort of Beatles haircut, but he's got the long braid, so it's kind of like a, a thicker rat tail that he's working with for this one. So, and he obviously cites this as being a parody of martial arts films, but it doesn't really hit um hard enough to really sort of be considered a parody. So, there's obviously the Criterion one out there, which is obviously a nice cleaned up version, or you can watch the uh foggy kick-down-the-stairs version that's kicking around on YouTube, which I watched, so...
1: So, I've never seen this, and I'm interested that you say that there's a Criterion set. Yes. Because it was released by 88 Films. (laughs) I'm not sponsored by them this week, honestly. (laughs) Just Um... And the Blu-ray of it in my local HMV in Reading has been on the f- on the shelf,
0: first.
1: It's, and it's it's not on sideways. It's it's always face up, you know. So it always, I always think, oh, Jackie Chat, and I'm always waiting for it to go cheap. <laughs> <coughs> but I don't think I'm going to bother. But I was just having a look on Amazon. And yes, you can still buy it. I couldn't see the Criterion ones, or maybe that's just an American. Might just be
0: so. a Region One release because yeah. I know that it's on the Criterion channel. So if you're in the states or you've got a way to access the Criterion channel, you can also watch it through there. Um, but... But,
1: but yeah, but what I have to tell you is, one of the most random things I've ever seen. It's not just available as a as the eighty eight Films Blu ray on Amazon Co UK. But there's a there's a product bundle. So you get, get two films in a product bundle. One is uh, half loaf of kung fu and the other one is Romper Stomper.
0: What the fuck? <laughs> well <laughs> both what? feature Asian actors in them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like what? <laughs> if you want to see a young Russell Crowe and a young um, Jackie Chan and and that's the that's the uh, that's the double um that's the, that's the movie night you fancy. Amazon have got you sorted. How bizarre. Yeah, I, I don't understand that, but yeah, that's made me giggle. But I think what you've said is, Stephen keep that um keep that eighty eight films thing on the shelf unless it yeah. goes dirt cheap.
0: I, yeah, I would say this is one really fun for the completion list. Um Mike Dick, who's a uh, Used to be part of Kissing Contest and now is part of Five Inch Club. I think he pretty much summed it up with his review of this film. This is fine for lying on the couch drinking beer on a Sunday afternoon viewing, but I think many movies improved upon the lovable moron and learns an orthodox Kung Fu style and becomes a hero trope, even if this was the trailblazer. Hmm. I think a lot of of people also resonate with the fact that Jackie Chan takes far too long to learn that he's actually a Kung Fu master. But this also is another film. I was looking through Chan's filmography, and it's surprisingly just how far back it goes where he was like playing thugs and doing stunt roles. Like, he's in Come Drink With Me, he's in all the Bruce Lee movies. Um, like, you go through his filmography, and it's because he started off as a child actor, and just going all the way through it, and you see like Fug, 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 Soldier, Fug, 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 Extra. And then we get into when Bruce Lee sort of dies, and they were like looking for like the next big breakout star. And he's doing films with like um, Jimmy Wang Yu, like uh, The Killer Meteorites, where he mm. actually gets to play a villain before he does things so like Drunken Master, Snake and the Eagle Shadow, which is and also a, a film that a lot of people sleep on, but I think it's really good. Snake and the Eagle Shadow, a lot of people just sort of like that, sight that
1: that's another eighty eight films release. Yeah, because I was that I've got that as a uh,
0: Hong Kong Legends release. Mm. Um, that and the drunken master movies, which I know a lot of people so sort of, like cite drunken master as like being the big sort of breakout one, but I think Snake and the Eagle Shadows is not without its charm, certainly. Um, also on the weird food side of things, we got the Fire Dragon, which is a Wuxia movie from 1994, uh, which stars Bridget Lynn as. She plays the fire dragon who's um, kind of like an assassin who's got fire abilities. She's got a fire sword and ability to set people on fire and throws fire stones. <laughs> the the sheer amount of fire effects in this movie, we... You know when we talked about Killer Constable in the last episode, we were talking mm. about like the uh, health and safety in regards to fire effects. Yeah. Same could be said about this one, because pretty much anything that can burn or be blown up, it puts Michael Bay to shame. This one's directed by Young Woo Ping who you know man the myth the legend that he is a uh, legendary fight choreographer and also a fantastic director in his own right but here she plays a sort of hired assassin henchwoman who's trying to track down a rebel fighter um here played by max mock who's hidden himself amongst a bunch of um amongst the circus trope as he uh, has a letter which is basically going to expose the uh, corrupt government official and uh, she's trying to get hold of that letter and ends up going undercover as well with the same troop with the two basically trying to expose expose the other and she of course gets won over by the overwhelming goodness of the troop and turns on her former employer leading to a rather spectacular showdown at the end um this is this is really really good. Uh, this one was put out by optimum asia by fully there's uh, another release of it out there as well uh but uh, yeah this one's really really good i enjoyed it especially the the action scenes it does go in a little too long and it gets a little of Sacturine in places but the actual action set pieces are really fantastic especially if you're a fan of wuxia swordplay. sword play as uh there's lots of people flying through the air and throwing exploding projectiles at each other and you have fights that go down the sides of cliffs it's all the usual creative things we come to expect from Yun Wu Ping.
1: I've never heard of this, but Bridget Lin, I'm sold. I see Sandra Oh is in it as well. Um, and like you say, um, um, you know, Wu Ping Yun is you know, one of the great action
0: directors ever. Um, yeah, for some reason the subtitles didn't kick in on the first, like, five minutes or so of this film so i was like oh great this isn't going to be like one of those films where i just have to sit there and like try and translate it myself but thankfully as i said they they uh they kicked in soon after so no idea what's up with that release but um yeah so i would say it's worth checking out
1: so d- did you watch it on rare lust or something like that, Is that how you no
0: no, no 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 i have gonna i with the um oh right release. yeah okay well you actually
1: watched a piece of physical media
0: yes i have physical media wow it's been a real battle between the streaming and the physical media owners <laughs> and stuff this week and because obviously you have like a lot of directors such as like kristen nolan and grandma toro talking about the beauty of ownership mm. and none of them take into account the fact that dis rot mm. like if you looked at any of like your like old dvds and realize that they don't play as well as like your new dvds or like if you get laser discs and you realise that only one side works because it's got laser rot, so. Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't. They 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 can.
1: Laser discs are particularly. Um,
0: yeah. it's many um, from, flippers.
1: And and, that, and, and and CDs as well. Actually, um, I know all our younger audience. Do we have a younger audience? Probably not. I was actually watching something the other day. I'm a big fan of physical media, as I've said before, and I'm on the lookout for both an old VHS player and a um, Laserdisc player. I own a couple of Laserdiscs I've never played. But it led me down this um, rabbit hole. And there is now a device that you can buy, like someone's come up with it, that you have to fit inside your Laserdisc player that enables you to basically rip the Laserdisc. Right, because obviously Laserdisc is an analogue signal, it's not digital like compact disc and DVD and they've only got composite out most of them. <laughs> they've basically created this thing that sort of interrupts the laser. I don't know how it works, but I just think and it costs hundreds of pounds and there's all these basically there's lots of people who've invested heavily in the laser disc format. With good reason sometimes, because there's lots of things that are only on Laserdisc. Hello, Penguin's Memory. Um, <laughs> and 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 um, some TV shows and things. And actually, although a lot of them are pan 4 4.3, they've actually got more picture than the widescreen DVD that you might be able to find. So there could be reason to keep it. But it's, I was just amazed at the, the expense that people were going to, because they've realised, and they absolutely bought up on this video, the Laserdisc rock and that and that these things are failing um so I, I i hear you and i have got cds that holes have appeared in like ones i bought very early on um i guess i can say this now without getting anyone into trouble i used to know somebody that worked at a cd pressing plant okay <laughs> and they used to just give me Copies of everything that came out. There's about a year in the um, late 80s where I've got pretty much every piece of music that came out in every genre, <coughs> but none of them have got boxes or labels, yeah, it surprise the, me. Press, the press CD. But loads of them now have got little holes. You can see light through them and stuff like that because the silver does, um, I think, like a fungus gets in or something, doesn't it? And um, eats away the, that inner metal layer. So. I get it. We need to we need to preserve stuff. But we did this the other episode, didn't we? <laughs>
0: it's I was um Yeah, I mean it's obviously there's this this fear of like films not being preserved and lost and while there's obviously this, you know, that, oh, I can have something, and I can watch it whenever I want, the flip side, obviously, is the storage side of things, and yes, you can be like the guy with, like, thousands of DVDs on your shelf and stuff, but then you can claim you watch every single one, but you can guarantee there's gonna be a lot of Deadwood in that collection as well.
1: I couldn't agree more. I am mean, I'm that guy, right? I've got more DVDs and Blu-rays and CDs and other things as well than I can possibly... I will never be able to watch them all, mate. And I've got shelves that are double-stacked. So I couldn't... If you said, Stephen, can I borrow your copy of this? I... If it wasn't in a particular... If it wasn't Asian cinema or Doctor Who... They're the only two things that I've got in any kind of order. If it's anything Hollywoody, mate, give me a couple of days, I'll find yeah. it. <laughs> and you'll find stuff in there that's not been unwrapped, that films I don't even fucking like. Um Uh Yeah, it, I things Owning stuff is expensive, and it uses up a lot of space. Well, this is the thing. Physical and, media is now and, and,
0: and, and, doubled in price. And,
1: and very few of them hold their value. Yeah. Most, you know, if you buy the latest Mission Impossible film on Blu-ray, 15 quid. And then within two months, it will be seven ninety-nine, And when you decide you don't want it anymore, and you try and sell it on eBay, you can't give it away. No. So these things, you know, occasionally there'll be something that has a limited run or a very key audience or maybe uh, what what sometimes happens is there's a particularly bad pressing or something and then the one you've got suddenly becomes valuable or something goes out of print. So this is why our boutique label sometimes wins. So what was a film we were talking about the other day, wasn't it, where... um. We had to look how much it was on eBay. And it was like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. I wish I'd bought that. But that's 1% of my collection, if that. I would say. Everything else is is is, is just plastic boxes yeah. that I really don't need. I mean,
0: I feel like supporting boutique labels because they're putting out a product mm. and there's real love and effort going into it. But when you look at, like, a, like a mainstream release... And like how little effort is now put into it. They don't even put like commentaries or special features on the discs. These are basically like vanilla discs that are being put out. And that's why I feel don't feel bad at all. Even like the artwork's like half-assed. And what I do now with a lot of my discs, I have like big CD wallets. That I just store all the discs in mm. and it saves all the space. And then it keeps my shelf space free for all the boutique labels. So I've got like the Tarlin stuff. I've got the Arrow stuff. 88 films Fair Window, It's all there, and yeah. then it's all yeah. by Which is... label, then director, then chronological order. I mean, mine's mine's by label
1: and color mostly. But I absolutely agree with you. Um, just thinking of one, you know, I, I'm I'm a bit of a Marvel movie geek still, even though you know they're all on I'm Disney Plus. Much over it, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that's one but I, I like to have the physicals. But I've bought the latest Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, right? And it's come in a a tiny thin box, fuck all special features on yeah. it. And this was a big release. For, I don't know it, it 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 doesn't match the other two, so it doesn't even go with the others on the shelf now. Um, and it's half-assed. The cover. You're absolutely right that the cover art looks half-assed. The special features. The thing which really makes things good. You know, so it makes makes the which is the advantage of the physical media, all those extras, right? Uh, I I remember it's what we were talking about now, we were talking about um on the our world cinema show, weren't we? We were talking about Criterion Collection extras being on um YouTube. Yes, they are. Um I I I I, I now feel I'd be quite happy with that. Now, streaming you won't get the same visual quality, but do you know what? I've got a PlayStation 5, and I've got a TV that can do ultra-high definition. I watched the UHD of The Prestige the other day, which is a film I like. It's probably my favourite Christopher Nolan film by quite some way. And it doesn't look any fucking better than a DVD. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. But I'm sorry, you you audio... Not audio files. What's a visio file? I don't know. Um... Cinephile, whatever well, it is, yeah,
0: because he would be cinematography into it. But cinephiles, uh, someone yeah. who likes films, so yeah, Who these people
1: who go to certain websites and they produce statistics about what the image quality is like and blah blah blah. Oh, and the dax, the blacks and the darks. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Now, that might not be a particularly good UHD, but it's definitely no better than my Blu-ray, and actually, when I watch stuff on certain streaming platforms, again, through the PS5, on the UHD TV, when I've got, I'm very lucky boy, I've got cable, internet, yeah, so I can get high-definition streaming, and it looks just as good, and I'm thinking, I'm old, my eyes aren't as good as they once were, mate, Um, but I I am beginning to think I, a lot of my physical media can go, there'll be things I'll Never give up, and I love you know my Arrow box sets or and and like you the, those boutique labels on the sort of things I love. But I'm getting to the point where why the hell am I buying half this stuff? And the only things I enjoy are the nostalgia picks. You know the the, the oh here's a TV show from the seventies I really liked. I'd quite like to have that even though it's probably on movies for men or something wow
0: now network um have disappeared haven't they so that'll be coming that's be come to an end if it's not already has
1: I, I already yeah it came to an end a few months ago um oh absolutely and and but that's you know they weren't particularly good dVDs but that's that preservation yeah. thing isn't it that we've talked about gotta
0: preserve all those copies of euro trash oh I know we missed out on that didn't we <laughs> <laughs> you really don't want to buy a second-hand copy. I,
1: I, I don't. I'd never watch it. I've got to be honest with you, but um, I'd like to. I'd like to know it exists. Yeah. Just watch Risqué
0: <laughs> Business on Netflix. It's essentially yes, the same. Yes, yes. You, you did say that. Yes. But, um, talking of preservation, though, um, and you were saying about you know cleaning things up and that. My final film that I watched this week is a film which I know you're a big fan of and that was 2004's Kamikaze Girls by Tetsuya Nakashima and this was the most recent release from Window Films who have cleaned up the film and it, it looks absolutely stunning. This is a really fantastic film, I'm not sure why it took me so long to watch it but as I said it is available through of Films and it's about a gothic Lolita girl who teams up with a Tough biker chick, with the two uh, finding a weird kindred spirit of style friendship between them. This is a a film, as I said, it throws a lot of ideas at the screen. It has completely engaging characters and wonderful visual style, um, right down from the Momoko's uh, Lolita styling through to like the unicorn um, quiff of Ryu or even just the uh, biker gang Freds. Um, There's just so much to look at and enjoy in this movie. It's a completely bonkers watch, and one that I'm still trying to piece together what exactly I watched, but at the same time, it was certainly an enjoyable experience, and one that I'd highly recommend checking out if you've not done already.
1: As as you say, you already know, this is one of my favourite films ever, and... um... I like think you might be becoming a fan of director Tetsuya Nakashima because you really liked World of Kanako. I did as really well, like World of Kanako. I was looking <laughs> at what
0: else he'd done because he also did Confessions as well. And
1: and Confessions, yeah, absolutely. Um, um i have been lucky enough to meet him in he he went to or well, at the screening of um World of Kanako in London, and I just think I, I just think he's one of the great Japanese modern stylists. Um, you know. I'm on record several times saying I didn't really like World of Kanako, though it did grow on me when we watched, it, you know, for for the show. But this is just a beautiful, whimsical, candy crush of a movie. Um, I think Kyoko Fukada is fantastic There's Mamako in it. Oh um, yeah, because she and, was um, in
0: Dolls and she was in Yatterman and Ring Two. Yep, yeah,
1: she's. In, yeah, and uh, Anna. Oh, I can't say her name. Suchia, who plays Ishigo, is. Um, She's a really interesting actress as well. Um, She's in a bunch of stuff that I now can't remember. Uh, She didn't taste
0: the tea. She also did uh, Memories of uh, Matsuko with the same director (laughs) as well that that's what which is another glorious movie
1: yeah he's just got this wonderful actually she ha- oh she's done lots of music hasn't she um just trying to think of something else doesn't oh sakuran she did as well didn't she that's the other film that she's in that sort of in that's in the same sort of time frame but yeah and i'd forgotten that um there was a new blu-ray so i've got a blu-ray but i'm pretty certain it's just a copy of the DVD release, so I think this is a new version, isn't it? From Third Window Films, that's come
0: out. Is it from Third? Yeah, it's from Third Window. um, because you can watch the watch the on. You can watch it on Arrow Player, and I believe it's also on Amazon Prime as well now.
1: Yeah, but you can buy you can buy it from the through the Arrow Store, which is interesting. That that label that shop's getting very bizarre. But I yeah I love it. It's it's. um, just, just yeah What well, I, I I we one day we'll cover it in the show I think I'm pretty certain it was in my top 10 films of all time it's just a film I love I love going back to it and watching it so um yeah
0: I just have a look to see whereabouts we we logged it because I said it is in the uh top, top 200 um it came in at number 171 really I must have forgotten to bring it probably initial. one of the ones you keep forgetting every time you get yeah, yeah. 25 because but, while i'd say the first 50 is in order yeah. um after that it's really sort of as we've come to films um so i wouldn't like say oh just because it's not the top 10 i would say is is pretty bomb proof because obviously we got like i think it's uh, the top 10 is um battle Royale at number one and then it's like in the mood for love
1: it's something I think I have got something in there. I think we've both got something in there that the others thinking what the fuck. I
0: but know you got King of Comedy absolutely. like number
1: four. I know, and I and, and obviously after our last show and you didn't really like it at
0: all. Um, I feel a complete fraud, but I still I've, love I it. I was thinking about it. today. Awkward, with um, the small naked child. Um, but then again, <laughs> in Fire Dragon, there's a scene where they're in the, they're in the uh, the bathhouse and you got the young kid like looking. <laughs> looking in on the uh guys in the bathhouse and comments about has got a sausage between his legs and he's like don't be cheeky <laughs> and i'm wondering is, so like i know is it hong Kong cinema's got a real thing about flatulence humor and oh yeah yeah for sure um, um so we got that and then it seems to have this weird thing about <laughs> about penis humor as well so <sighs> yes yeah, so in in, uh, in um
1: in Fight Back to School 3, there's a couple of sex jokes that I just wasn't expecting in a Stephen Chow film like this. And I felt a bit awkward about... I'm not going to tell you what they no. are, but they both involve oral sex. And I just wasn't expecting it. And you're absolutely right. It was, nothing seems funnier in a Hong Kong comedy than someone shitting themselves. That that they think that's the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> but
0: our top ten was Battle Royale and number one. And then it was In the Mood for Love, Akira, My Sassy Girl, Brotherhood, My Neighbor Totoro, Destroy our Monsters, King of Comedy was an actually in a eight. Then it was Lady Vengeance and of Two Sisters.
1: And what's interesting is half of them we still haven't covered on the show.
0: Let's that's... see, Tell Two Sisters we've done. Lady Vengeance yep. is going to be two two five because we're going to be doing the Vengeance trilogy. Spoiler that, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a that's a spoiler for me as well. <laughs> we talked about it before because we talked yeah. about. I know, I know, I know. Don't wear me edit you around you here. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Totoro. We've done over movies in Tea. We've not done on this show. Yeah, um, like in the movie for love, I think it's gonna be another of those big anniversary ones because it's I think for sure so significant and it it's so stylish and perfect in so many ways. And Akira, we keep it keeps moving around because it was going to be 100 and then every other show seemed to be doing Akira uh, so we keep moving it around but eventually we will do Akira at some point indeed yeah we'll get there but, um, and obviously Destroy Monsters was way back on our first uh, Kaiju Christmas which we have got a really good pick for this year so that's going to be fun as well we're going to get the gang back together and talk about that
1: Mr. Rehack coming. Mr. Rehack
0: will be joining us. The only other thing I can guarantee oh. is that we'll be getting drunk and playing ping-pong.
1: Do I know what Kaiju Christmas is? I probably do. Well, you've probably told me, and I've probably said, what a good idea, and I've just forgotten. Let's leave it. Surprise me in the audience near a Christmas. Okay.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, it's time to talk about our feature presentation for the evening, which is The Legend of the Stardust Brothers. Ladies and
1: gentlemen, now we introduce the Stardust Brothers!
0: Man, back
1: me, she said, ooh, the I guess you'll this attack
0: So tonight we're talking about The Legend of the Stardust Brothers uh, released back in 1985, directed by Makoto Tezuka who's also known as the son of the god of anime himself Um, his father obviously being Osamu Tezuka who is best known for creating Astro Boy Um, The film itself is a musical comedy that originally started life as a concept album um, conceived by um, Hiroo Chikada, who drew inspiration from the likes of Phantom of the Paradise and Rocky Horror Picture Show. He basically wanted to create a soundtrack for a film that didn't exist and ultimately ended up teaming with uh, Tezuka to create this film um, with Tezuka, drawing inspiration from the soundtrack and creating a film out of the songs that were there with uh, three new songs also being created by Chicago for the use in the film. The film itself sees two rival musicians. We've got the punk rocker, Kan, who's played by Kan Tagachi of uh, the band London Boots. And his rival is the new wave artist, Shingo, here played by Shingo Kabuta, who's uh, with the band Supercars. And the two are scouted by Atomic Music producer, Uh, Minami, who basically offers them a large sum of money to sign, but at the same time says that the only way they're going to get the money is if they form a duo. And in doing so, they sort of launch up into meteoric rise to superstardom, and the film ultimately charting their inevitable fall from such dizzy heights. This is the first time I've watched myself. Stephen, what about yourself? Um, sort of. Okay. I think
1: I might mention before. I can't remember if we did it on on um, on audio, but um, this was on movie, and I started watching it, and the subtitles didn't work, and I stopped watching it. So I've watched the first ten minutes about twenty times. <laughs> so this is the first time I've got past the first ten minutes. Um, and also, so so the director um, Tezuka I talked about one of his films about a year ago where I watched um Barbara. Okay. Or it's called Tezuka's Barbara. Which um is basically an adaptation of one of his father's late later um mangas. Um and yeah, I wasn't really blown away with by that so I was a bit trepidatious about watching this but I do like this kind of film <laughs> uh, you know like the the no, not so much the fact that it's a mockumentary but the whole you know there's a lot of films which chart the rise and fall of pop stars aren't they <laughs> um, so one of my favorite films of all time is called Breaking Glass which is a British film with Hazel O'Connor and um, Phil Daniels. Which has a very British thing of this punk punk wop girl becomes superstar and then in the American edit of the film they cut out the sad the saddish ending. <laughs> <laughs> but um that's a film I, I love very much. And so the story itself on paper is quite I don't want to say cliche, but it, it's it's what you expect. Yeah. And then But it does some fairly nutty things in the denouement. <laughs> I sure we will get to it at the end. so I'm not going to spoil it now. So, yeah, it was a film I, I, I came up with some trepidation. But I knew I'd like it. I'm also not a huge fan of musicals, per se. And so the fact, as, as you say, this is sort of... Most of this movie is songs. Um, there is very little spoken dialogue, which I've got to admit, usually is a huge fucking turn off for me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in this case, with some reservations, I think it worked really well. I do like the way that, the, I mean, I know you said that Shingo Supergars Band or a new wave band. They're fucking wham. Let's not overrate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not overstate their coolness. <laughs> they are. <laughs> it's, it's wham. And um, a lot of the... Because yeah, this was for, when was this made? Ninth, this wasn't 1985. So yeah, it's the mo- it, it's it's got the visual stylings of lots of 80s video music videos in it, into some of that rando shit that goes on in some of them. But it's good fun.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I think. Mean- Certainly musicals are an acquired taste at the best of times. They're either really good, so there's many good musicals out there, as we mentioned already, the likes of Phantom of the Paradise, or we look at *Rocky Horror Picture Show, Little Shop of Horrors there, for example, Calamity Jane. Really good musicals, and then there are just awful musicals like Sweeney Todd.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I like um,
0: things like Grease. No, 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 yeah, no. Grease I, is I like in that Greece. same category. Grease can just to be thrown straight in the uh, trash.
1: I I I like Greece and I like South Pacific, and I like Singing in the Rain. But on the whole, I wouldn't go and watch uh, a musical. But in Nination cinema, I really like that Takashi Miike one. For love's sake, yeah, that I was really good. Love it. I really love that and some of the songs in that I really love and I really like Tokyo Tribe by C- well, he should not be named Sion C- Sono um, I thought that was really clever but I do struggle with movies that replace dialogue with people singing what they're doing because I can see what people are doing, I don't need them to sing it at the same time <laughs> I'm having a good day and I'm putting a smile on my face I fuck off
0: just say it. <laughs> it's true. I mean, the other aspect of this obviously is the fact that we're watching a Japanese film, um, so the music is all in Japanese. And I'm always like questioning, like whether a, a subtitled musical actually works. And obviously, you've proven already that it does work because we've seen, like, for love's sake, and something uh, with Tokyo Tribe. I think, I think Tokyo Tribe works
1: because it's rap music, and. I think just the, the structure of it, and I, maybe it was just a fantastic subtitling, but I just I just think the nature of how rap music works. Maybe it suits the Japanese language, I don't know. Maybe the, the way it's structured, but it, it worked for me. But you're absolutely right, in this movie in particular, I struggled to read the lyrics along with the tune that's being played. It's a bit like... um. When you hear people sing in German, you know, and the the verb is always at the end of the fucking sentence. And so when it's translated, it doesn't quite work and it doesn't scan with the music that you're hearing. But this was fine. I'm. I like Japanese pop music. I love the music of the 80s. This was saying, Stephen, you should freaking love this. And I'm. Think I quite like the music. I don't know about you. I did see that on the Arrow website they're selling the album. I <laughs> the bet <better> they are.
0: <laughs> and I
1: I was thinking halfway through do I like this enough to buy the album? Well, you already bought the and house I'm...
0: soundtrack before watching the film, so. No, no, I'd seen the film before the, the, the house. I bought the Mothra soundtrack. Oh, yes, it's <laughs> the Mothra soundtrack, there. wasn't yeah. it?
1: But... Um, yeah, House who I love. And I've got the soundtrack to Underwater Love as well. Um, but which I think is marvellous but this I don't know, what did you think of the songs?
0: What? I thought that it, it hits a number of different styles and I think that's what helps keep it fresh and at the same time it's being performed with such energy and vibrant visuals that it really helps to plaster over a lot of the cracks so while the songs may not always resonate with yourself there's always something interesting happening on the screen and the fact that there's not just one visual style here being used by Tezuka. He uses everything he can get his hands on. We've got animation here. I believe Monkey Punch um is responsible did, for yeah. it who obviously did um the um loop in the third.
1: I um, mean he's he's one of them. So 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 obviously the director has got... Because his dad was like this like he's like the god of fucking animation. He <laughs> pretty much, yeah. You know, he's obviously struggled... Well, not struggled, but you know he's had to find his own place in the world. But he, he, he's got connections. So like you say, Monkey Punch, there are other anime directors and other people that involve involved with this. Just to put everyone out of... I, I see a lot of reviews on Letterboxd and IMDb that say, oh, this is a low-budget, blah, blah, blah. This is not a low-budget film. This film cost, in Japanese terms, a fucking fortune. And although we don't know many of the people in it, most of the actors in this... Are quite famous at the time pop stars in Japan. This is um, this is Spice Girls the movie level, you know, of um, hype and the number of stars that are in it. A movie which, interestingly, isn't available on DVD. Um, but that's another story. So this is yeah, this he he is able to throw a lot of things at the screen. I don't think it's brilliantly staged, but it did remind me of. Do you remember like mid '80s MTV, um, and then there'd be these shows like on once a year. There'll be the best videos of all time, right? <laughs> sort of thing, um, and 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 it would just have you know here's one by Queen, here's one by the Rolling Stones, here's one you know Undercover of the Night or something because because Jul- people like Julian Temple were doing music videos at the time, so it was really attractive to top level. Film directors to do expensive music videos. That's what this reminded me of. Like, things like uh, David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes videos. Things like that. That's what these reminded me of. Because there was a rando shit happening in some of them. <laughs> and then some of them were totally on the nose. And almost describing what was going on in the song. Like the song about we've got a number one song. <laughs> I can't quote many of them. But there's a lot going on. But that's not, that's not. this isn't a low budget movie. It does look it sometimes. But he's just put the money in all these set pieces. Every scene is, well, 90% of scenes are music videos, right?
0: Yeah, he's very literal in places with, as you said, when they have like the, uh, the dec- I think it is the number one song, um, and the show's like the radio blob. Our song is blowing up the radio, and it's like, because this guy's radio exploded. That sort of thing's really funny, or being like chased by fans. The thing which I really like about the Stardust Brothers is the fact that they are essentially Sparks. And I love Sparks. It's hard not to look at these two and not think of Sparks. I, I know what you mean. Because they're a synth-pop duo, right? So, although,
1: allegedly, they've come from these two different musical backgrounds, and, and we will spoil a film later on that comes from 1985. I think that's allowed. But there is, there, there is something I love, anyway, about a two-piece... Synth pop bands,
0: <laughs> whether are from a country which is very good at producing them, for sure.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I love, I like Sparks. Yeah, I love the Pet Shop of course. Boys, as you know, which we've talked about before. I fucking love um, Soft Cell. Ugh. I love Erasure. Yes. I love um all those kind of and, and, and Yazoo. You just like h- another you one, like Andy Bell. Anything with and Vince Clark. People. Anything with anything with vince oh yes yeah but I, I just love the concept of a two-person band oh carter the unstoppable sex machine is another <laughs> absolute favorite of mine which were two people and a drum machine um obviously these they might be giants Is another one and and, and yes over, as as they as they have to tour and stuff like that these bands become you know Suddenly, there's a backing band and stuff like that. But at the core of it, there's a singer and a guy that can play the keyboards. <laughs> and, and, and although that isn't quite what's going on with the Stardust Brothers, because they're both singers.
0: Yeah, this. yeah, they're uh, they've got they've it, got it, a it, band um, yeah. who seem very nonplussed by by them,
1: and clearly are not playing the songs because the band they've got are not playing the right instruments for the songs. Yeah, that doing. they've um,
0: but also got a a little psychic called Marimo who's um she's an <coughs> aspiring singer herself but because the industry is really sexist the only way she can sort of break in is by being the president of their fan club yeah so she sort of like his acts as a sort of manager and she handles all the promotion and, and ultimately when things go off the rail for the band she gets her big break and ultimately becomes bigger than them and they become the presidents of her fan club so there's the usual sort of uh switcheroo's here and I, I will. I will. So, so I, I want to ask you a question okay. about that. So when they first meet
1: Marimo in the weird record industry building, which is only populated by two heavies whose job it is to stop people going to see. Um, <laughs> yeah, two two
0: metal pole welding thugs in leather jackets. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. She, she sort of introduces herself. So basically, it sounds like she's constantly trying to go in and trying to have a. Uh, uh an in, uh, an audition and she's failing and she sneaks in with them in the end and and eventually she gets the job but she she sings and her voice is fucking terrible <laughs> and, and, and 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 that's the joke and then about 40 minutes later after the rise and fall of the sardas brothers because the rise and fall is pretty quick and is done before the first 40 minutes of this film is out um she suddenly can sing beautifully and I'm thinking, did I miss something somewhere? It was just a bit weird that that she went from clearly having no talent to being more talented than them.
0: Yeah, but we love a an unlikely hero. We we look at like um, Giants and Toys, how mm-hmm. the unlikely uh, <laughs> spokesmodel for the uh, for the for the candy company suddenly becomes this most desirable model, even though she's got all these sort of flaws um and we don't really question why she suddenly becomes this we just love the fact that she suddenly elevates herself even though nothing's mm. really changed about her it's just um, her own star has sort of risen and i f- found her character very similar to to uh, that character there, there is there's absolutely
1: something about that sort of this this plucky little every girl that suddenly succeeds. I, I absolutely agree with you.
0: As we said, because there's so many different styles being thrown at the film, there's a wacky car chase where at one point they're just playing cars. cards, not cars. Mm. Uh, they're just playing cars. Uh, the car has got all these sort of like Bond gadgets in it, and it at one point, like flips over and becomes a very obvious model. <laughs> and even the opening where they're like singing about how they fell from fell from uh, fame. They have this amazing song. Everyone all the audience is in black and white and they're in colour. I mean, could couldn't you see
1: that as some sort of single from Soft Cell and a video from Soft Cell? It, do you know what I mean? That that's that's what it David has got this sort of sort of German expressionist. It's all in black and white, and then it's brilliant because they're in these silvery jumpsuits, and they do the thing where Basically, some poor girls had to be painted in grey. Yeah. So it looks like she's still in the you know, that they've combined the black and white in the colour. And and there's bits like that all through it where you know the director knows his stuff. He's a he's a more of an artist than he is a filmmaker, to my mind. And and so he does these things and you just think, mate, if you just calmed it down a bit and and just change it, you, you had a really good film but what you've got is you've done everything you can as quickly as you can and, and nothing's given a chance to rest No, that,
0: that's my that's my struggle with and it and some of these songs, but this is part of the charm is the fact that everything's going 500 miles per hour that he's got this sort of like Gillingham-esque energy to the film it doesn't matter if things make sense or if it's surreal or weird or just done for style's sake he'll f- happily throw it out on the screen and just like rolls with whatever the end result is. And I think that's what really adds to the charm. Um, the fact that these two characters are so interchangeable. They go from being individuals, but they be, when they become a, a duo, they become interchangeable with each other. And this being like how this is like this representation of the pop industry. You give away your personal freedom, your creativity, all the things that you are, because you just become a product. And this is what the manager's like. It's sort of like I can make you a star. You do what I say, and I will make guarantee you a number one hit. And obviously, it all works out. And I think this is the why really why I love about the film. And obviously, you have the the ego and the fall. And you even have like this Bowie esque character who sort of turns up as like the new flavour of the week.
1: Yeah, so he's interesting. I've got lots of facts about the people in this that's film. that's Karu. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so the character's called Karu, played by somebody who goes by the name of Issei, who is part... Well, actually, he died this year. It's a bit sad, actually. He died in an accident. But he was part of a band called De Zibet, who are... It's called a, a visual K-rock band, but basically they're people that would have worshipped Stephen Strange back in the day, <laughs> okay. you know, you know, you know, that, that, that sort of, um, the, the new romantic stroke glam rock thing, lots of makeup. He's a very striking individual. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so he comes onto the scene and he's the new thing. We've moved on from Wham, we've moved on from the Pet Shop Boys and now, it's Ashes to Ashes era, David Bowie, isn't it? All cheekbones and, and makeup. And... It's
0: really funny, isn't it? When you look at this, this is basically the Bowie career path just done through Tiff and start off with the Stardust Bones, who are like Ziggy Stardust. That dies, yep. and then we go on to, as you said, we're going to Ashes and Ashes, going into Berlin Bowie, which is just, um, as I said, he's just this absolute weirdo who drinks and smokes, but at the same time presents himself as having this clean living image for his fans, and randomly seems to turn into a zombie for no apparent reason. Well,
1: he's got... Yeah, so there's also... This film, we are going to spoil it, right?
0: We've got to spoil (laughs) it. It it may make more sense to ourselves (laughs) if we spoil it, so...
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, so... Yeah, he he appears halfway through the film as he's introduced as the son of a famous person, of a politician, yeah. but but they talk about it in this really weird roundabout way. It's because there's a punchline coming up later on, and but as we as you say, he seems to have these funny little epileptic fits. Is he a zombie? Is he a robot? He he tries to seduce um, uh, what's her name?
0: Oh, uh, Minamari. Uh,
1: Minamari, yeah, because he's yeah, because the other guy has got a name that's similar, um, and and then yeah, and then he tries to marry her, doesn't he? And yeah, he thinks that the of...
0: them having a relationship is going to help provide him with the boost yeah. he needs.
1: And so, so he is like this sort of, like I say, like he's like one of these sort of new romantic era torture garden style people. And again, it's all perfectly legitimate for the time this was made in my head this was from 95 and I was thinking oh it's all a bit 10 years too late but actually it's very on the nose in terms of musical styling. and um, and then we find out through some fucking weirdness who his dad is and they don't say it out loud but it's Hitler oh yes it's just but it they sort of Oh, go through like a portal in underneath Hitler's desk. And when I say it's Hitler, it's a Japanese man in <laughs> in uh, what was that thing that Keith Lemon used to do? Um, no, is it Keith Lemon? The, the bow selector. He is Keith Lemon. Is yeah, selector, yeah, yeah, isn't it's it? uh, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. It's in a bow. It's, it's it's a Japanese man in a bow selector type Hitler outfit. It's just fucking weird. <laughs> I don't know where that's come from, mate. That, that's that's. there's a review of this on the internet and that's the only scene they talk about <laughs> it's like, up to then it's been like this high concept parody criticism of, of the pop industry right and I think we can all think of other films and artists I mean it reminded me a lot of the Wham movie that recently came out where it was talking about how people were manipulated by their managers and stuff like that but then why did they go through a portal and end up under Hitler's desk And then not really do anything with it. It was very fucking... Because there's another twist to come. (laughs) Although a twist which was a bit signalled about the Stardust Brothers. But yeah, that was just weird. And you just think, why? But is that one of the moments that elevates it from being just... A weird funny film to a fucking crazy film <laughs> I don't know I think
0: it's when films films like this get weird is when they get interesting especially musicals like the most inter- interesting musicals are always the weirdest like the best Beatles movie is Yellow Submarine and these are the ones which stick with us nobody's talking about like Hard Day's Night Head Head exactly but- Head is another yeah. psychedelic freak out um, of a movie um, I think then the, again the monkey's sort of like a uh, that was like towards the end of their career when they got they got interested in things like Pauper's song and that. Um Head's another wonderful movie. I'd love to watch this and Head back to back.
1: Yeah, I mean the the Monkeys are another band I love a lot, which is <sighs> literally a band thrown together by a record industry. And then suddenly after the TV show they do really, really interesting music. Like is it Randy Saafgett and stuff like that?
0: They're just Oh yeah, yeah. They and, they really became uh I mean, I always thought the monkeys were better than the Beatles, anyway. But you know, that's my unpopular opinion. You, th- you, th- you, th- and you think the Beatles are better than the Rolling Stones? You've you've, you've
1: set your stall out, mate. Yeah. Oh yeah. If anyone's seen the Rolling Stones, <laughs> they're the
0: most boring band to watch live. It's like, but what? Were they the same? We look at how many albums the Rolling Stones done, and how many do we forget they done? Like, we all remember like "Let It Bleed," but we don't. We forget about was it "Facial Tattoo." Like uh, Voodoo Lounge, like all oh, those albums are forgettable. I think, I think, I think. I, I'm just gonna defend the Rolling Stones.
1: It's not, it's not their fault. They, 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 they mostly have survived. I mean, obviously Brian Jones didn't survive the time, but they, they kept yeah. on going. Whereas the Beatles split up after only like six or seven years of existence. And I absolutely agree with you. I don't think the Rolling Stones have done anything interesting. Album-wise, since about nineteen eighties,
0: Undercover. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not putting out another like "Give Me Shelter" or "Jumpin' Jack Flash." No, no. But I think, I think, I think their
1: core music. I think, I think, "Let It Bleed" and um, "Some Girls" and uh, what else is there? Um, oh, well, "Sticky Fingers." That's the one yeah. favorite of mine. Um, I think, I think they have got this core five or six, eight albums that are marvelous. But they have kept on going, and then, and they're very apt, have not they? They've just done a new album, and that song is on the fucking new FIFA. Yeah, of
0: course. So where else would you expect <laughs> to find it? So,
1: and it plays every time I'm on the menu screen, oh. and I'm thinking, yeah, I wonder how much they paid for that to happen. And they made a huge deal; it was on all the websites. Never talking about. And it's a it's a fine song, but
0: you know, it's yeah, fine.
1: But I don't mean I don't mean it's you, fine. You
0: look song at like the bands which know what they're doing, like Kiss. Yeah. Kiss are a prime example of this. Yes, they're licensed to print money at this point, but that's the way they do. When you see Kiss, um, they just play the hits. They don't play the new songs because they know everyone's here for the hits. Same Rolling Stones. People go to, they want to hear Satisfaction and Gimme Shelter, Mother's Little Helper, Wild Horses, Brown Sugar. Sim- sympathy for the Devil, yeah. come on. Sympathy for the Devil's great because, I mean, that's 10 minutes she has set already gone. Although <laughs> <laughs> the best version of Sympathy for the Devil is the motorhead version. Yeah, that's a good
1: version. But I, I I think you're being very harsh on the Rolling Stones. But I, I do know, I do agree. Should we do an unpopular opinions about music, as it is a music themed episode, I guess? Um, The best thing that ever happened to John Lennon was being assassinated. (laughs) I think that he would have got in terms of his in terms of his
0: reputation
1: and his musical output. Yeah,
0: when you look at the. John Lennon's opinion. You go back and look at archive footage and John Lennon's doing some very questionable things where he's making fun of disabled people and people, Beatles fans especially, love to separate the art from the man. They will happily gloss over all the flaws of that band because they're they're holding that precious to themselves. Um, But you know, you've all got your final single now and you can enjoy the fact it's going to be a Christmas number one and is it? It's pretty much well, I, see, I, see,
1: the... I see. I see that um, the 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 people think about sausage rolls are, are not putting out a single this year. So it might be they've had it for the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> Lad baby, is that what they call something, called? Like, something that. like that? Um, yeah, and I I do think. Again, I think it's not just it's not just um, the Beatles fans that have to do things like that separate the artist from the man. But I do think that his solo career, if it had, if he was still alive today, like Paul McCartney is, what's Paul McCartney done of any interest since about 1985? He
0: did, um, you know, that uh, chicken pot pie, you know, the Bond theme. Oh right, yeah, right, yeah, that was with Wings.
1: Yeah, so Paul McCartney right, this this is gonna be an interesting episode for people. So <laughs> just like again, we I think arguing Wings- about something I well. think Wings actually were a really interesting band. Oh you well. and Lucky and apparently
0: think the same, man.
1: Huh? I, I, I think Wings did some great stuff and I think he did some really interesting solo stuff in the eighties. But again, since about when was Give My Regards to Broad Street, that movie that he did that flopped. So that was about eighty six, eighty-seven? Since then, I don't think controversial statement, he's done anything of any interest at all. Um, but, because he's a nice guy, he's also not really done anything to hurt anybody either. Whereas, I think Lennon's probably it's its helped him. And I don't think his solo career was as interesting as Paul McCartney's. McCartney too. There's an album for you. It's sort of that's, a, that's now deemed to be a synthesiser classic. It's one of the first albums that did synth pop. So, you know, let's tie it back to the Stardust Brothers. Go and listen to McCartney 2 and Temporary Secretary. That's the music that
0: this film is, um, is aping.
1: How did we get here?
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favourite song off this soundtrack? Because for myself, it's Gasoline Rain. Right? I'm not entirely sure what they're all called, but I do
1: know, I, do you know what? I like the songs more and more.
0: <laughs> they are I, real earworms. I... Like I keep having like the yeah. op- like uh, the opening Stardust Rose song itself. Like I keep having my head. It's like Stardust, 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 Stardust. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not kidding. I
1: really did look at the soundtrack album because I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it. Right now, does that make sense? I feel sense? it's a grower.
0: But, I feel that like some yeah. of these songs, they were like, there's some ones which are like just like straight out classics. As I said like Stardust Brothers, Gasoline Rain. Um, oh. You don't like like uh, No, uh, London, which is the London Boots one, which I think is more memorable for the fact they just spell out London yeah. <laughs> than the actual yeah. <laughs> lyrics.
1: I, I, I can tell you which one I like the best, but it's not actually a Stardust Brothers song. So again, I'm going to spoil it. So after the whole Hitler thing, there's a whole hedonistic party that seems to happen, which again is like a fucking music video, including somebody there with a fucking pig's head mask on. I don't know what any of it's about. And so so, um, Karu then shoots one of the Stardust brothers for some reason. Well, because he wants to marry uh, the girl. And um, suddenly... Um, what's, what's the guy called? Atomic Minami? The the, the guy, the, the, the man that's owned the record label, goes in front and takes the bullet. And he's played by this guy called Kiyohiko Ozaki, who, again, I had to look this up. I didn't know this. But he is one of the biggest music pop stars of the age, right? He's like the David Essex. Of this is 1985 after all, remember. But he's he's like a really famous singer. So everyone everyone seeing that film in Japan would have known who he was. He's very famous because he's got this really incredible singing voice. And he's got his sideburns, which are all in place. And he sings a song after being shot, basically on his way to heaven, that I thought was actually the best sung song and the best (laughs) where he's basically explaining. The reason I brought you together is because I'm your dad and all the for- all the foreshadowing around the boys having their hearts on the wrong side of their body and that their fathers have both left them and they'd grown up without a father it was subtle as a tin of spam and we all knew it was coming <laughs> but it's that song actually I really liked, but I think I think i will watch this film again and i will like the songs more and more <laughs> it's just the earworms is the right right word it's
0: a hard film to tell what was going on but at the same time it's never a boring film i think mean, it just constantly because it's constantly switching styles and it's throwing things at you and it's just so wacky and random I think that's where it plays into its strength. So while you may not like every single song, there's always something happening in it, or it's just throwing some surreal moment at you. And I think that's really where the strength of this film comes. And certainly, if you're a fan of like those outlaw musicals, like the Rocky Horror uh, Picture Show, or certainly Phantom of the Paradise, I think is a great comparison piece to this one. Especially, um, I think as I said, it's certainly something that will probably resonate with yourself it is on arrow player as well and uh you can also pick up a physical copy from Fairwind window films which have done a nice job as well on it
1: so um also by the way kiyohiko ozaki was also in house he was or house as we call it he's so, also um, in
0: um I, uh the the go motorbike in her island
1: i think it is cool yeah 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 which is the so. same director but, uh, i need i need to remember him from house but um do yeah there's I don't want to end it on a sad note but this film's been a bit of a um, what's it called it's, it's involved a little bit of an investigative journey because actually the Wikipedia page is pretty poor on links and stuff like that so I've had to find out who a lot of these people are <coughs> but the girl um, what's her name again um, uh, Maribel uh, yeah, but she's played. Oh, by, she's played uh, by uh, Kyoko
0: Togawa. Kyoko
1: Togawa. Right. So she was the sister of Jun Toga, Togawa, who also has got a little bit part of the film. But again, she is a huge star. So, but like in sort of independent weirdo music. Um, <laughs> Uh, sort of stuff that we'd like probably mate um (laughs) but yeah she 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 was sort of avant-garde so I think think of her like a um like a Kate Bush in Japan that that sort that kind of thing um so she's a big deal but it's really sad because um her sister Kyoko would go on to kill herself in 2002 because she didn't think her career was getting anywhere. even though she'd had quite a successful career in in film and so, so, so everything I read about this suddenly she'd killed herself. Isai had died this year. Um, the other fella, uh, uh, the Azaki, died as well. Everyone, because everyone's dead, and you think, oh, I suppose it was 1985. That this is this is one of the older films we've watched, isn't it? Really, but um, it was quite tragic to read about her death, um, which I only got as a you know deep in another review and you sort of found out and you're just like oh god cuz she looked so happy and one of the things i was thinking about when watching this film is i'm not completely down with this it's a bit rough around the edges but everyone looked like they were having so much fun making it That's that that was my takeaway like it must have been a fucking
0: laugh to make this film yeah it's uh it's it hard not to think how they couldn't have had fun with this one, certainly. And I think, as I said, if you've, not, if you've not seen this one already, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, it's certainly an interesting one to try and review, which makes me all the more glad that we can talk about it here on this show, because I don't even know where to start yeah. with like, trying to write about this one. So
1: I'm going to be honest with you, it's a solid 7 out of 10 for me. Right, I don't think it's a film I'm going to revisit a lot. But it's a film, especially, like, it's one of those ones the more we talk about it, the more I think, oh, actually, yeah, ooh, well, mate, mm. Um My biggest flaw with it is, uh, it's not just that it's rough around the edges, not just because the songs, whatever, it, and not just because it's a musical. It's that I don't really care about the two leads. That's my, that's my biggest. They are just ciphers for a lot of this. And they are, if, at the end of the day, they become a plot point. Um. I was far more interested in the girl, (laughs) in in her story. Um, And I think that's just where it lets me down a bit. And interestingly, when I watched Tezuka's Barbara, which basically, mate, is just another version of Junjito's Tobi story, really, I felt the character work was the weakest part of that as well. I mean, he's done other stuff. In the um forty years between those two movies, but um, yeah, it just it just stopped me completely connecting with it, but if I view it as a collection of videos from the 1980s that I could watch on YouTube in a playlist, but they just happened to star these two <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm down I'm down for it. it's quite good, and I think I will one day revisit. I certainly wouldn't have any problems recommending it to people. It, it lives in this sort of, in that kind of wacky Japanese movie, you know, that, that, that Takashi Miike sort of took on. You know, you could watch this with um, Happiness of the Katakuris quite yeah. happily.
0: I think if we were ever in the, you know, the privileged position of being asked to present a screening and they said, well, what mm. film would you like to present? Part of me thinks we we'll would bring legend of the Stardust Brothers to show because I can see this being really fun with an audience. I just really want to see how this would play and, and we did like you know play this someone like the Prince Charles or something and sort of like to see how this would play for an unsuspecting audience especially so
1: yeah, um also, and I, I hinted at it before, but it was a complete fucking flop at the uh, on on release. Um, both home and obviously, I don't think everyone got released abroad. so even though it had all these famous people in it, even though musically it's very of the time, um, it it didn't make any money. oh and obviously and and the director of course you know is is this famous you know the, the son of a god <laughs> um and, and and it didn't get anywhere. Um, but third window films bless their hearts rediscovered it fairly recently, you know, and, and put it out on the um festival scene and it won a bunch of awards. And obviously they've 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 had it on Movie, they've had it a nice Blue Ray version and DVD has come out of it. They've printed a um a new vinyl LP and EP to go with it. They, they they've really pushed this movie, but it could have been, you know, tie it back into some earlier parts of this I don't know how much of this show is going to remain free of the edit button, but you know, talking about that media that could have been lost this we could never have seen this if it wasn't for third window films, and I think that is one of the roles that they play in particular, especially with Japanese cinema, is that they are the ones that are digging out the sort of more uh, quirky I mean, that, that's their thing, the sort of the quirky films that, that don't always resonate Certainly with me, but I think this one, this, like I say, solid 7 out of 10, but well done Third Window Films for finding it, I
0: think. They certainly got a record for being the first ones to bring certain films over, like Crazy Thunder Road was the first time uh, outside of Japan release, which they put out, so uh, they're often like the ones to watch if you want to see some release for the first time, then they're a good catalogue to uh, look at it for, so... And that it. Brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to us. Leave us a review, especially on iTunes, as that really helps raise the profile of the show. If you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Friends, and Blue Sky, so come say hi to us there. Uh, you can also check out full archive episodes at Asian Cinema Club and uh, Stephen, it's your turn to pick next. What would you like to look at? It is. And I'm going to do something very different
1: for my next two picks. So don't worry, this is going to go on over a month or so as the way our show works. But I'm going to pick two films for my next two consecutive choices. So the first film I'm going to pick, which we'll talk about next, the next episode, it will be... 1960s Korean movie, The Housemaid, which I believe is on YouTube for nothing. (laughs) So it's 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 a classic of the form. Um, But I think it'd be quite nice. I've talked a bit about some 60s Korean movies, but I don't think we've watched one. And this is oh, did we? Where we watched just was the Insect Woman Korean or Japanese? That was Japanese. That's that's Japanese. Yeah, yeah. So the Housemaid. I'd like to watch 1960s Housemaid, and then after you've had a choice and we've done a couple of World cinema things, we're going to look at the 2010 remake. <laughs> See how things have changed. They are quite different movies. Don't worry; it's not just the. It's not like watching the Psycho and then Gus Van Sant Psycho. <laughs> oh, that's funny. This is the same film. So that 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 will be the next two choices.
0: So you doing it as a double episode or? <laughs> no no no. We'll
1: we'll have a gap All between right. them. I'm not gonna make you watch this uh, a similar story twice okay.
0: in a in a week. Cool. Uh so that's what's coming that up in our next episode. So until then, thank you for listening. Thanks for my code, Pleasure and as always. And join us next time for The Housemate. Until then, good night. Fire, fire.